the Go podcast is brought to you by The Sanctuary. For more information, please visit www.thesanctuarychurch.com. This Christmas, I have been wanting to kind of encourage us to slow down a bit, to just slow down and truly celebrate Christmas by remembering Jesus' first arrival and by anticipating his second arrival. I'm looking forward to the day that he will come again. In doing that this year for Christmas, I decided I wanted to look at the words of Christmas. There are several words. We see them pop up all over the place. Uh, and so this series is called The Words of Christmas. Specifically, uh, we've been looking at four different words, or three so far, two so far, one coming up, right? We've been looking at different words. Two weeks ago, I talked about how we've misplaced our hope, and uh, but that God is hope-worthy. And last week, I talked about joy as a decision, but this week, I want to look at love. Love. Now, what about love? What's love got to do with it? Everything, right? If you have missed any of these teachings, uh, get onto the Worldwide Webkins, right? Go to Facebook, get on iTunes, YouTube, or get our app. If you don't have our app already, uh, these teachings are all uh, on, on our app. I want you to get those, and because I, I want you to Keep up with this story. It's about Jesus. And anybody who has ever heard about Jesus probably knows uh, bits and pieces of his teachings. People, you know, I mean, even if they don't go to church or, or they used to go to church a long time ago, if they've never been to church, people know the teachings of Jesus. He was infamous for his parables, right? those pointed stories with a lesson. He would compare these difficult concepts like the kingdom of heaven with a really simple thing like a pearl. And he'd say, hey, let me say, it's not so difficult. It's kind of like this so that we could understand these things a lot better. In fact, most people can convey the, the essential aspects of stories like the prodigal son. They go, oh yeah, that's just like this, this guy had a bunch of money and he blows his dad's money and he takes off and he, you know, they could get those things. Or, or here's another one, the Good Samaritan. Many people can tell you the Good Samaritan. There are today, even today, there are hospitals called the Good Samaritan. There is a law on the books called the Good Samaritan law, right? That is today, you know, if you try and help somebody out of a car accident kind of thing. Anyway, but they get those basic concepts down and there are probably even some who are here today or on the stream who could recite from memory a couple of the Beatitudes. You remember those, right? God blesses those who are poor. God blesses those who thirst for righteousness, right? We know, we know some of those Beatitudes. But here's the wild part. I bet, I, I would bet 90 plus percent of the general population can recite his most famous sermon word for word verbatim. Now, why would I say that, right? Well, because I think, again, it's his most famous sermon because it's only about eight to 12 words depending on the version or how you say it. And I guess that's what makes it his most famous sermon. It's called the golden rule. You've heard that before. If you have your app this morning, I've got a space for you to write out the golden rule. What is the golden rule? You've heard it before. 
You've said it before. It's found in Matthew 7, 12. It starts with this one. Do to others and then go ahead and fill in the rest. You know it. What you want them to do to you, do unto others. If you want to do King James, it's cool. I gave you the whole space so you can write it out however you want, right? Do unto others, do to others, uh, you know, however you want to say that. See, Jesus actually takes that phrase, that golden rule phrase, and he kind of restates it later in his ministry when he's talking about the greatest commandment. It's to love God and love your neighbor. In Matthew 22, he discusses this whole thing. And, and when you really think about it, that description of love is really like the Cliff's notes to the Good Samaritan story, right? Do to others as you would have them do to you, right? But what I want to look at today is what does Jesus mean exactly when he uses that word love? Because that word gets lost on us. It's really an unclear word in English because we can love our mom and we can love pizza. And if you love your mom and pizza the same way, mom is going to be really hurt. So please don't tell her that. I love you as much as pizza, mom. Right? Th there are times, though, when words fail us in matters of the heart. And we're like, I want to I try and somehow express what my love is. And so we turn to authors and poets and musicians for for a take on love so that we can better be understood, right? And so musicians would have us believe that love is soft as an easy chair, right? I don't know. Uh, it is, love is all you need. Uh, love is a battlefield, right? Love is a shack. That's a real cool place where, or love is burning. It's a burning love, burning love, burning love. Right? But listen, I know some of you aren't getting Pat Benatar out of your mind right now. Love is a battle. You 80s kids. Like that's it just comes to me, right? Gina Thompson is laughing right now. She's like, yes, I know that. I know, I know that song. I know, I know. But but listen, what did Jesus mean when he used the word love? What he, when he said it in his language? First of all, I want you to understand. This love your neighbor, that's, that's the answer he gave. The love your neighbor phrase is a quote right out of the Hebrew scriptures. It's this word for love, it's called ahava, ahava. That's the word for love. And, but the language that Jesus was speaking in, that he taught in day to day, was a cousin language to Hebrew. And it's an old language, it's not around anymore. It's called Aramaic. It's a, it's a lost language. And in which that word is rachmah, right? And so he says, oh, you got a rachmah right? But I'll tell you what, the problem is that as Jesus' followers spread out over the world and they continued to spread his teachings, those teachings then got translated into the current languages. At that time, it was Greek, right? And so they used the word agape. And that's probably something, if you've been around church at all, you've probably heard this word agape. The earliest followers of Jesus, they wrote the New Testament, right? And they used this word. But I want you to know, they didn't go, well, let's find out what it, get the Old Testament dictionary. Okay, there it is, Rachmah, you know. No, no, listen, they, they took the ministry, the life of Jesus and said, based on what he said and what he did, what would we call that? So rather than using this Old Testament word, Ahava or Rachmah, they said, well, what he did was agape, and, and we can see that throughout his life. Rather than looking to the teachings of Jesus, they, they really looked at not just his words, but the life and ministry, how he touched people. And they redefined their very concept of love. They thought, 
That's not love. That's actually agape. There's something fantastic here. See, we get stuck. In America, love is like this feeling that happens. I, I fell in love. It's a gravity issue, right? Oh, love. And, and all of a sudden, I'm in love. And now I'm not in love anymore with that, right? In, in this cancel culture we live in. Well, I used to like them, but now they believe something I don't believe, so they're out of my, my love triangle, right? Well, one time when Jesus was asked about the most important commandment, that's where this is all going, is he, they said, hey, Jesus, what's the most important commandment in the, in the Hebrew scriptures? And he first quotes from an ancient prayer in the Torah called the Shema. And it's love the Lord your God with all your heart. And that's in Deuteronomy 6.5. And he says, oh, easy. And most important, love the Lord your God with all your heart. And so, okay, cool. Now we know, love for God. That's the most important commandment, right? But before, before they can even ask him another question, almost like in the same breath, he follows it up and he says, yeah, but you know what? There's another commandment in the Torah that is just as important. It's also as important. In Leviticus 8, 19.18, he says, and love your neighbor as yourself. And they're like, okay, so, 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 okay, then which one is the most important loving God or loving your neighbor? And Jesus answers. Yes. Right. Yeah. But which one? Yes. See, if you're even asking the question, then it it means you didn't understand exactly what I was getting to because for Jesus, loving God and loving your neighbor are simply two sides of the same coin. If you're filling in the notes this morning, if you've got the app, this one's for you. Ready? I got this for you. Our love for God is expressed. You're just gonna write the same word twice. How easy is this today, right? Our love for God is expressed in our love for people, and our love for people is expressed in our love for God. I want you to see is that they're inseparable. In fact, John told us, John the Beloved told us, we can't say that we love God and hate our brother. It's impossible to separate the two. So these are inseparable. Loving for God is expressed by our love for people, and loving people is expressed in our love for God. And for the life and ministry and teachings of Jesus, agape isn't simply just, again, a feeling for someone else that that happens to you, right? Agape, again, I, I fell in love. Most of our Hollywood movies are just, well, it just, I don't know, it just happened. I was walking down the street, and I fell in love with this person, Really? Is is that the way that works? See, agape for Jesus is much more. Agape is way more. Here's what it is. Agape is action. Love is action, not feeling. In fact, it's a choice that makes us seek the well-being. Fill this one in. The well-being of other people other than ourselves. It's an action. Jesus not only taught this, and teaching that genuine love for God and others is about seeking the well-being. See, he didn't just teach it, then he showed it. His was an active love. But that loving that he's talking about, beloved, you have to hear this. That love has to be done with pure motives. Love with pure motives. In other words, it's expecting nothing in return. That is is love, that I'm gonna have this action toward you, for you, without expecting anything to return back to me. It's an investment that I make in you and then walk away. That is love. We're to be loving people who are actually difficult to love in difficult situations. Those 
who couldn't repay us, even if they wanted to, even if they had the ability to, it, it's not, see, I disappear. It's, it's that moment where you say, no, here's love in action. And then who did that? How did I get this? It's that, you know, that unseen good deeds, right? That's, that's love in action. Well, according to Jesus, and fill this in, this kind of generous love reflects the heartbeat of God because that's the way God loves us. Most of the times, folks, God is just remaining anonymous. We go, oh man, what good luck I had today. No, I believe that that is the love of God for us. This generous love that he has for us and that we're supposed to have for other people is a reflection of God's love for us. We all know that God and specifically Jesus, right? He doesn't, he doesn't just say, love God and love your neighbor. He, he, he always has this tendency to take it one step further, right? It's like, right when you think, okay, so he's done. No, then, he, then he, he always has to just go a little bit farther. He sets this up in Matthew chapter five. I want you to see this. So open up your Bibles with me. Matthew chapter five, you've got your tablet, your phone, whatever it is, Matthew chapter five. And, and starting in verse 43, I want you to see Jesus just ramps it up, right? He, he says, listen, he says, listen, if you, it's not, it's not adultery just to have sex with somebody else. It's, it's in your thoughts. It's like, whoa, whoa. He just keeps saying it. Watch this. Matthew chapter five, starting in verse 43. Let me read this with you. It says, you've heard the law and it says, you got to love your neighbor and hate your enemies. That's easy piece of cake. I know how to hate my enemies, right? But I say, wait, I, I, I love your enemies. Wait, wait, are, are you talking about the ones who, oh, come on, right? Listen to this. Pray for those who persecute you. You got to be kidding me. Verse 45, in that way, you're going to be acting as true children of your father in heaven because he gives sunlight to both the evil and the good. He sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you're only going to love those who love you, what reward is there for that? You know what? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you're kind only to your friends, how are you different from anybody else? Even pagans know how to do that. But listen, you're to be perfect even as your father in heaven is perfect. Jesus is outlining what it means to truly love. He's, he's saying in his teaching, you got to love people that you can't stand. You got you to gotta do good to them and again, expect nothing in return. I'm supposed to be good to the tax collector? Let's start with just paying our taxes, right? I'm finding any loophole and not give them any money. Well, Jesus comes to us and he, he says, this is the kind of, listen to this, enemy embracing love. It's like, wait, what? That's what imitates the very character of God. Honestly, we wouldn't still be talking about the teachings of Jesus, let alone the life of Jesus, if it was just stuff that he said, like love your enemies. We're still talking about Jesus because he actually did it. Remember what I said? Love the action, right? Jesus wasn't all talk and no action like this guy. No, he actually lived this out. Jesus is constantly helping and serving the people that are around him in practical and tangible ways. Let me feed 
you. Let me heal you. Let me touch, right, and restore you. He's constantly moving towards the poor and the hurting people who couldn't benefit him in return. You watch the ministry of Jesus. He's like, these, these people are crippled, and he comes over, and he, he heals them, and then walks away. It's like, why wouldn't you heal them and then recruit them to be part of the door-to-door ministry of handing out bulletins? No, it, what was that, right? Fill this one in, would you please? Jesus showed love for the forgotten. Those people who fall through the cracks, that's who Jesus really showed his love for. I will often refer to these as the least, the last, and the lost. Now, in Jesus' culture, that was women and children and the sickly. Women were second-class, maybe even third-class citizens. Children weren't citizens at all. They were just, they, they, they didn't contribute anything to the culture, so they're really worthless. And the sickly, they're just a burden on our society. Does this sound familiar to anyone? But Jesus said, those are the people that they need to know that they are loved. And so when Jesus comes into Jerusalem, right, he makes this what's called the triumphant entry. He comes into Jerusalem and he makes himself an enemy of all the religious people by accusing them. You guys are a bunch of hypocrites. You guys are corrupt. And, and then to the poor and the marginalized, he goes, hey, let me feed you. Let me care for you. Let me heal you. But you guys, man, you guys, this is trouble over here. And then instead of attacking his enemies, right? Instead of overthrowing them, they overthrow him. He allows them to kill him, essentially proving his point. Look, at I'll, I'll do good and they'll kill me for it. Jesus died for the selfishness and the corruption of his enemies. And here's why. I want you to hear this. And it's hard. It's a hard one for me to swallow because he agaped them. He loved them through action. After his resurrection, Jesus and then eventually his followers claimed that it was the power of God's love that rose him out of that grave. It was the power of God's love that was revealed in the life and ministry of Jesus. That's what brought about the resurrection. Paul put it like this in Romans chapter five, verse eight. Look what he says. God showed his great agape for us by sending Christ to die for us while we're sinners. And again, words of John beloved. God showed how much he agaped us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. And he says that in just a couple verses later, this is, there's a natural conclusion to this. Dear friends, since God agaped us that much, we surely ought to be agapeing other people the same way. See, this Advent season is really about how we receive and how we give. See, we've been given something, but what are we doing with it? We receive, but what are we doing with it? And not just, again, presents. Well, I got a present, so I have to give them a present, right? That's, that's the whole guilt trip thing. But, but I want you to think this morning, I want us to stay on this focus of how are we receiving and giving, ready, agape? How are we giving love? Much like the tithe series I just finished, agape is all about receiving and giving as well. Our 
Christian beliefs require trust. That's, that's why it's called faith. And so we have to trust. Do we really believe that the Bible teaches that the center of the universe is, ready for this, not just God, but the love of God? Throughout scripture, you can see it. His love overflowing for the world. And that is the purpose of our human existence. To receive God's love that has come to us in the life of Jesus and then to turn around and give God's love generously back to others. Now watch this, because I want you to see this. When we receive God's love, and it's coming down to us, and I'll often use this word, through us, right? That we, it's given to us, and then we give it to other people. Listen, that, it, that becomes an, an, an ecosystem of God's love. It keeps coming down. See, as soon as he fills me up and I empty myself of that, he goes, I got to send more. I'm going to keep loving. I'm going to keep pouring more love down to you. And I just keep emptying it out. I just keep giving it away. If we can do that, beloved, if we, we who are loved receive the love of God and give it away freely as we've received it, he just keeps filling us up. And as I said, it becomes an ecosystem of others-focused, self giving love. This is the last blank for you. Christmas is God's revolution of love. I I chose this word specifically. It's a revolution of love. See, we're not going to change things by working on the existing standard of love. There has to be a revolution. There must be a revolution. We need a revolution of love where God's love makes our Typical love, just obsolete. Mary knew this even before the baby was born. She was impregnated, right? The whole story, right? We read this story. In fact, open up your Bibles to Matthew, Mark, Luke. It's in the good news books, the third there. Luke chapter one. Mary has, God has come to Mary and said, hey, listen, I want to save the world and I want to do it through you. And, and look at what her response is to that. I, I just want you to see this. It's called the Magnificat. In other words, the magnification. This is a song of magnification. I want to zero in on something and really look at the details of what God has done. Watch this. Not just to me, but through me. So in Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 46, Mary says, Oh, how my soul praises the Lord. How my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he took notice of this lowly servant girl. And from now on, all generations are gonna call me blessed. For the mighty one is holy and he's done great things for me. He shows mercy from generation to generation to all who fear him. His mighty arm has done tremendous things. He's scattered the proud and haughty ones. He's brought down the princes from their thrones and exalted the humble. He's filled the hungry with good things. He sent the rich away with empty hands. He's helped his servant Israel and remembered to be merciful for he made this promise to our ancestors, to Abraham and his children forever. I hear this. I hear Mary recognize what's happening to her. Again, not just to her, but what's happening through her. And Mary is singing about a love Read it. 
It lifts up the lowly. It fills the hungry with good things. It brings the powerful down from their thrones. This song of love turns into hope, turns everything, our despair, right into hope, the war into peace, sorrow into joy, fear into love. That, she's having this revolution inside of her, realizing, whoa, God, the God who made that promise so many generations ago, it's happening now. And there's a revolution happening inside of Mary. Christmas, again, is God's revolution of love. This season of Advent is our time to remember it and to anticipate it. I remember it then, but I'm anticipating he's going to love again. And for us in these times when we gather together, it's to sing about the hope, week one, about the joy, week two, and this week about the love. So let's be loud and proud. Let's, be, let's sing about the God who turns everything upside down with this revolution. Love your enemies? You gotta be kidding me. Well, yeah, a- anybody can love their friends. Anybody can love someone who gives something back. I'm asking you to love without an expectation. Let's have an uprising this Christmas. Let's, let's have a revolution. I'm asking us to rebel against cultural Christianity and move toward convictional Christianity where Jesus goes, that's not love. Loving like that, that's not love. I want us to really love. If you were here this morning, my hope, my prayer is that you already have that relationship with Jesus who introduces you to God. If not, I want to pray with you. I don't know where you are. I don't know where you're hearing this. You might be on Facebook or somebody told you about it and put a link on YouTube on their their Facebook. I don't know. But if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, that's love. The love of God for us. I so want you to have that relationship with him. Very simply, it's done just like this. God, would you forgive me I have blown it. I've got my own way of doing things and it hasn't gotten me very far. But I want your way. Would you come, watch this, not just live in me, right? Jesus in me, but Jesus through me. Jesus, would you come and live through me today? Can I pray for you? Father God, there are those who have heard this prayer and said, that's what I want. That's the thing I'm looking for. So I ask in the name of Jesus, For those who are hearing about this love, this revolutionary love, that they would first accept it, that they are loved. And in accepting that love into themselves, they would in turn, after receiving that love, turn and give that love away. Being a part of this love ecosystem, this love revolution that is, it's a grassroots thing. There's just a few people. One turned to 12, and 12 turned into millions and billions over thousands of years. Those 12 disciples went out after hearing about this love, this agape, and decided, let's try agapeing our neighbors. Let's try agapeing our our enemies. Let's try agapeing our families. Let's try agapeing those who, who don't like us. And it changed the world as we know it. Father, I pray that your agape, your love would reach out today to those who are praying. In Jesus' name, let it be so.
and let it be done.